movie fans, and welcome back to another episode of the Uncharted Media Podcast. This is episode 111. We took last week off, one, because there's not a lot of news, and two, just needed a holiday break. Um, Not that the holidays are done now, but it's... New Year's doesn't matter as much as Christmas. Um, But we're back. Loaded episode for you guys, and I'm looking forward to it. It should be a good one. But before we get into any of that, Michael, how you doing tonight? How was your Christmas? Oh, yes. Merry, Merry Christmas. Merry belated Christmas to all of our listeners out there. And as we approach a new year, Happy New Year. Uh, I am doing very well. This has been a glorious last week. Uh, you actually mentioned in uh, the pre-production meeting there, uh, hopefully this week was better. And it was. So I, I can't wait to get to these topics. There's been a lot of great news in, in the world of movies in this last week, week and a half. So i uh, very grateful for the time off, but I'm excited to to kick off uh, our our start to the new year, but uh, I don't I don't think we can start the new year until we end a what, what was a there's many adjectives we can use to describe 2020. So I, I can't wait to get to our group discussion later. Yeah, uh, 2020, just kill it, kill it with fire. Um, I remember when it was like February or March, and everyone was just like, yeah, we kind of missed 2019 because when 2019 was done, everyone's just like, oh, let's move on to 2020. Nope. Nope, we take that back. Uh, but we're moving on to 2021 soon, and I can't come soon enough. But believe it or not, there was still some good stuff that came out in 2020. So for our discussion this week, we're going to talk about the best movies of 2020. However, due to the circumstances, um, we add a little twist to it of if I or Michael saw the movie for the first time, it counts for us as a 2020 movie due to a lack of options. Um we still saw a lot of stuff because we had nothing better to do this year. Um, so I'm looking forward to that. But before we get into all that, uh, Michael, are you watching anything good? Are you reading anything good this week? Uh, yes. So one of the things that I added uh, to my, my movie bank for 2020, I wrote. I had to write them all down. But uh, one of the things that I, I, re- I finished this week was Clear and Present Danger. I had started that film. And uh, thanks to IMDb TV on Amazon Prime, I was able to finish that with some ads, which it's not bad. And that was a serviceable Jack Ryan film, so that, that was good. I enjoyed it. And then my, my father and I were finally able to, it was long teased, we were finally able to sit down and watch A Few Good Men, and that was thrilling. I, I love Aaron Sorkin anyway. I think he's one of the best writers Oh, did Sorkin in write Hollywood. that? Did Sorkin write A Few Good yes, Men? Yes, That doesn't surprise me. Yeah, yeah, and so a fantastic film, fantastic cast, and I had a blast. So th- those are the two things that I wrapped up this week that I wanted to get done. Uh, I'll mention them briefly later, but uh, they're very, very good, very good films. Um, I've had a, a bunch of random stuff. Uh, Heather and I finished our binge of Cobra Kai ahead of this Friday's drop of Cobra Kai Season 3. It was cool they bumped it up a week, so it's now coming out January 1st instead of January 8th good because i don't want to wait any longer than i have to so we finished our rewatch of that super excited um uh i'll I have another one that'll save that because it segues us into our news topic that uh, we'll talk about later i'm reading two different things because i can never just read one thing at a time but also it's technically not because one of them is an audiobook and one of them are reading reading uh michael you'll be happy to know i'm listening to the audiobook version of just thrawn the first, like, canon oh, Thrawn yeah. book by Timothy Zahn. Like, I'm going through the Thrawn... Not the Thrawn trilogy, because that's not canon, but, like, the, the 
what is canon in Disney. Because um, I know of Thrawn, but something tells me I'm going to need to be a little bit more familiar with him in the not-too-distant future. Um, yeah. I'm, so I'm listening to that, but I'm also reading some obscure comic, I don't think you've ever heard of it, Michael, called Captain America Winter Soldier. It, it's pretty it's pretty obscure. I don't, I don't know if you've ever heard of that yeah. one or not. Very elusive, very rare item, yes. So, yeah, actually, um, Winter Soldier is my favorite MCU movie, but I've never actually read the entire story arc, so I'm looking forward to that. Uh, i got plenty of comics on my docket after the Christmas season, so I'm, I just started Winter Soldier, finished up Spider-Verse about a week or two ago. Uh, but, yeah, the Captain America in Winter Soldier is very different than the one in the movie, and I'm not sure how I feel about it. He's just kind of... He's more cold and militaristic, but he has more stuff going on in his story and before these events, as opposed to Chris Evans, who's still likable. Not saying this Captain America isn't likable. It's just a very, it's just a bit of a stark difference. Um, But also, the big thing that I watched was Wonder Woman 1984 on Christmas Day. Well, it is certainly a movie. Um. Mm. I won't say it's the best movie of 2020. I unfortunately can't even say it's the best DC movie of 2020. Um, I've seen the word disappointing thrown out a lot with this movie, and I'm tempted to agree. Like when all the critics were talking about it when it was first coming out before the general audience could see it, everyone was singing its praises. Um, It was like uh, low 90s, upper 80s in terms of Rotten Tomatoes. As soon as it was released to general audiences, that plummeted, and I think it's now at 65% on Rotten Tomatoes, um, and I mm. can see why. I really, really like two-thirds of the original Wonder Woman. I think the ending is kind of where things go off the rails a bit, and the movie gets confused as to what it wants to be. Confusing is the right word to describe Wonder Woman 1984. It is, on paper, a simple premise. That they don't fully ever really explain and don't give you everything you need to know. Like, without dipping too much into spoilers, there's a thing that's letting people receive special gifts, but in exchange for something else. And it's hinted at in a quick passing line of dialogue that there might be some higher power responsible for this. That is never brought up ever again after that sentence. Um, There's... It's two hour, two and a half hours. It does not need to be. This could have been a brisk two hours if things were stripped down. You got your two villains, uh, Barbara Minerva, played by Kristen Wiig, and you got Pedro Pascal, the Mandalorian, playing Maxwell Lord. You should have just picked one villain. Either one of them would be fine. But both of them, I think, are really miscast. I like them both individually, but I don't know if they were the right fits for this movie. And But together... They didn't feel like a comic book movie in 2020. It felt more like Jim Carrey and Tommy Lee Jones in Batman Forever. Um, oh, that not that's, that's a that's a bummer to hear. And maybe not that bad. I'm but sorry to hear. I, it's also, um, you, Michael. I'm sure you've seen in the trailers that like shopping mall scene where she like saves some people. Yeah. That's actually one of the worst scenes in the movie. Like it's trying to be an homage to Christopher Reeves' Superman, which you know. I'm all about the classic Superman. It was so bad. The like the bad guys, quote unquote bad guys, are like so cartoonishly over the top. I was like, what what is happening here? Um 
I will say Gal Gadot, who I've been a critical of in times in the past, she is significantly better this time around. I think she's getting more and more comfortable in the Wonder Woman role. I just don't think she was given a lot to work with. This movie tries to bite off so much. It bites off way more than it can chew. It is two and a half hours. It does not need to be. There's big concepts here that are never fully explained. And there's also a whole lot of assumptions of just like, well, that's not how that would work. Um, and also, it one little thing happens. This whole story crumbles. Like, I didn't mind it when I first saw it. But the more I've had time to marinate, I'm just like, yeah, this movie's really not that good. Um, and also, without tipping too much into spoilers, I actually visibly got mad at one point in the movie where there's this big, huge revelation. It's supposed to be, like, this movie's version of the No Man's Land scene from the first movie. Except they use the exact, like, beat for beat, like, rip the audio track right out of the movie from the movie Sunshine. You know, that, like, famous music from Sunshine that doesn't really fit in the movie, but it's outstanding music. They steal it and blatantly put it in wonder woman for some reason like guys you have hans zimmer doing your score and unfortunately it's not one of hans's better music it's very phoned in but this scene in particular it's supposed to be wow inspiring powerful and i'm going wait why'd you steal the music for sunshine for this why couldn't you just use your, your own music it was so distracting going come on guys i wanted this to be so much better than it was yeah, yeah, that's really that's really disappointing. Uh, to even back up the the fact that you said has dropped so much. I mean, as of right now, out of 319 uh, critical reviews, it's at 64 percent with an audience score of 72. So that that does not uh, that that is not bold well for that film as far as uh, critics go. But if you if you look back to I'm gonna look this up real quick. What what it was in comparison to uh, the first, the first one back in 2017, probably 89. Uh, that was 93. Okay. Yeah, it's 93 versus 84, so considerably higher. Now, again, I, I think we we've, we've seen it all before that, of course, that when when you're a director with the prowess of Patty Jenkins and you've just been uh, given the green light to direct. Um, Star Wars Rogue Squadron, and you're on fire in Hollywood. You got all these great stories, and then this this news. Where I mean, it's not like it's a terrible film from what I've I've read. No, it's just not. It's just not disappointing. Is the word yeah. that yeah? It's just disappointing, right? Considering what the 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 pedigree of the people going into it, and the fact that you said that uh, Gal is better this time around. That that's all great stuff. And and so you know, is, is every is every director allowed a mulligan? I mean, sure. Uh, yeah. My question for you, Nate, is the first thing I thought of is: Does this give you any pause? I mean, literally any pause about Rogue Squadron and all? I was talking to a coworker today about this. I because we'll talk about this later. Uh, Wonder Woman three is still happening. That's one of our news topics that we'll talk about. I'm still optimistic about Patty Jenkins's future. But um, I still think she's a fantastic director. Maybe this was just a bad day at the office. I think she'll need a few more to be like, okay, I don't know if I trust you anymore. Um, but I don't fully have the confidence that I did before this movie came out, if that makes sense. Like, I still trust you, 
but you're only as good as what you did last. And and it's not just because it's Patty Jenkins. I would say Christopher Nolan was one of my favorite directors of all time, but I don't necessarily have that same level of faith in him that I did 10 years ago, um, like coming off Inception, okay. because to me, Inception was Nolan's last good movie. After a while, you start to kind of lose that faith. I have not lost complete faith in Patty Jenkins because of one movie. Like I said, this is not awful. It was just disappointing and it tried to bite off more than I could chew. I think Rogue One, I think she will have much better success with that because I think it'll be an original story that she wants to do and I feel like since it's starting something, it'll be much more of a stripped down approach as opposed to feeling the need to aggressively expand a universe. Like a a first movie is a whole heck of a lot easier to do than a sequel. Um, so I think she has an advantage in that respect. But also, she's still a good director. I don't know who's to blame for this or multiple people to blame. I won't write her off. Like I've seen a lot of other people just go, oh, man, she, why is she doing Wonder Woman 3? She just ruined it with this. And to be fair, I did the exact same thing with John Watts coming back for Spider-Man 3. So um, maybe I'm just close to the Spider-Man thing. Um, but I've also said John Watts, maybe Far From Home was not his fault. We'll see with the new Spider-Man and with Fantastic Four. So, uh, bring it back around. I, I don't really have any hesitation about her doing Rogue Squadron. Um, I do have one, a little bit of hesitation with her doing the next Wonder Woman, but that's more of just, you're continuing with this character. And also... Without saying too much, this movie had no purpose whatsoever being set in the 80s. Whether it was set in 2020 or 1984 made no difference to the actual narrative of the story. And she's like, the third one will be set in present time. I'm like, is there a reason why it's present time now? Because this one probably should have been set in present time. Because as much as I don't like Zack Snyder, a lot of what happens in 1984 directly contradicts Batman versus Superman. So I'm just going, uh, okay, okay. Um, I still have faith in her, but my faith in Batty Jenkins is not as solid as it was before 1984, if that makes sense. No, okay. I mean, that makes, I mean, it, it does. And I, I mean, you look at the writing credits here. I mean, you have Patty, Jen, uh, Patty Jenkins, you have Jeff Johns, uh, Dave uh, Callahan as well. And, you just like it would be a lot different. I would feel a little bit different if Patty Jenkins did not have her hands on the script. Uh, Jeff Johns seems to be somebody who's not really consistently admired for his work in the DC universe, for better or for worse. Well, okay, so, that's the tricky thing. Is Jeff Johns seems to be a controversial figure when it comes to the movies, and I love Jeff Johns in the comic book realm um he's been attached right. to a lot yeah. of dc projects over the years and i think that's more just because he's been the creative force for the comics like people are like jeff johns is executive producer on green lantern um yeah and kevin feige was executive producer on daredevil 2003 with ben affleck Are you gonna hold that against him um and there's been some backstage reports about like jeff johns butting heads with Zack snyder yada 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 i don't fully buy into any of those but I think you're right. Jeff Johns is one of, if not the best modern comic book writer, but comic books 
and movies are two completely different mediums here. Um, like, I love a ton of Jeff Johns stories, but if you told me Jeff Johns is no longer attached to any DC movie going forward, it's not going to be a big loss to me because he's a great comic book writer and a great visionary storyteller, but that doesn't necessarily translate to a good movie script. Yes, and and that's that's the thing is it's completely different, uh, uh, completely different writing staff, screenplay, and story by for the first Wonder Woman compared to the second. Mm-hmm. And, and Patty Jenkins did not have her hand at least credited in the writing credits at all in the first one. And so there were some comments I was seeing that like they really need to change up the the particular right the writing on it because you know from what I've heard, you know. If a director doesn't have their hand in in the screenplay, you know you can have the best director in the world, but you hand them a terrible screenplay. They can make they can salvage it, but they can't make it an Oscar award-winning screenplay and then a film. It's just not going mm-hmm. to happen. So I'm wondering if if maybe it's not necessarily a director's uh, director's role here necessarily. It's the the fact that maybe. The story just wasn't as fleshed out as it could have been, so I really wouldn't put that all on Patty. But seeing how she had uh, a role to play in that, I'm I'm really curious. But maybe if, if there is any solace here, if people, I'll say it's encouragement. If Patty Jenkins has proven herself as a fantastic director, and this is she's not a one-hit wonder, she's proven herself over her career, and people genuinely still like Wonder Woman then I can tell you the good news is that Patty Jenkins is going to be incredibly busy over the next few years. So the idea that maybe she can take a step back from hopefully the story and the creative side um, and do what she's passionate about, which I, I, I think is, is more uh, signs for encouragement uh, if you are a fan of the Wonder Woman franchise. I, I still have yet to see it, so I've, I've yet to, give, to get my try to like objective point of view on it. So I've kind of stayed away from from reviews. So you you telling me this tonight is a little discouraging, but uh, you know I'll I'll have to weigh in on my thoughts at a later time uh, on the film. It is by no means the worst movie of the year, but it it was definitely disappointing because I had heard reports about the plot and the overall story, like some story leaks months and months back, um, and I was like, well, if these are true, this story kind of feels a little anticlimactic and. Unfortunately, a lot of what had leaked out was true, unfortunately. Um, But before we get into our main topics, I've got one personal one that I wanted to really talk about. uh, Just real quick, just just because it's me. So, one of, if not my favorite comic book characters of all time is Nightwing. Better yet, just Dick Grayson, his whole story, I just... I just love, um, from his time as Robin, he's still, to me, the best Robin of all time, uh, to Nightwing, who is my favorite comic book character of all time. Well, in the comics, Nightwing has not had necessarily the best run of things. In October of 2018, um, the writing team on Nightwing, uh, actually, I don't think it was on the Nightwing side, um, in a Batman issue, so not even in his own uh, line of comics, Dick Grayson gets shot in the head by an assassin named the KG Beast and loses his memory. So promptly in the Nightwing run of comics, he becomes 
Rick Grayson. R-I-C Grayson. He's no longer calling himself Dick Grayson. He abandons the title of Nightwing altogether and just becomes a shell of what he used to be. He lets like a group of like three or four people become the Nightwings and they all wear his like old suits and basically become a super Nightwing team while he just does nothing really and we find out he's like mind controlled by the court of owls and at one point like there's a magic stone or something that joker controls it just got awful to the point of even though he's my favorite character i along with a lot of other nightwing fans just left the title because it strayed so far from the character we know and love it would be like if batman appeared in a superman movie only to get hit in the back of the head by Lex Luthor, and now he's broke and as a bartender somewhere. Like, it's so far from what we know them to be. Well, thankfully, hallelujah, he is back. There, in March of next year, so the very next issue of Nightwing, because they're taking a little detour, Nightwing is getting a completely new creative team on the comic. And the creative team is already gone. Yeah, we're going to more or less soft reboot this. Like they said in the nicest way to not throw shade on the previous comic book writers. But they're like, no, we're going back to Dick Grayson. We're big fans of him. We've seen him die twice in the comics in the past 10 years. That's not going to happen under our watch. We're going to take him back to being Nightwing. Going back to the classic stories. They've even said off the bat that he's going to be teaming up with Batgirl, which is just a classic pairing. Um, he's going to adopt a dog. So I'm like, all for that. As soon as I told Heather that, she's like, I'm down. I need Nightwing with a dog. Sounds like the cutest thing in the world. Um, it sounds more like a return to the classic style of Nightwing. Of just, why you stray so far from the recipe? Just back on target. Now, it's not a hard reset. It's not a reboot or anything. It's just, from this point on, it's going to go back to the to normal. We're not ignoring what happened, but we're also not going to acknowledge it again anytime soon, which pretty okay with me because he's Dick Grayson, not Rick Grayson. And let's never have him not be Nightwing ever again. Cause for some reason, this poor character, he has been killed twice in a decade. He has been had the, mantle of nightwing stripped from him twice in the past decade like this character is just like can we just put him back in some form of normalcy for heaven forbid some of us actually just like nightwing as he is and don't want radical changes like dc comics the past like year or so has been like we need to drastically reinvigorate all of our characters i'm just like maybe some of us just like the characters how they are so just a little quick little aside for me but I rejoice in the streets going, oh, I can finally read Nightwing comics again and just back to form because, yeah, I want Nightwing. And I'm still mad that Chris McKay never did that Nightwing movie because he left it for the Dungeons and Dragons movie. But, um, yeah, I'm like, oh, I can finally read Nightwing comics again because, Michael, as someone that doesn't read comics, I don't think you'll ever fully understand how stupid this Rick Grayson thing was. And it wasn't just like a quick little aside. It only just recently wrapped up. This whole Rick Grayson story arc thing has been going on for two years. Oh, my. Yeah, that, that uh, knowing how much, and, and trust me, for those who are listening, I, I don't have a dog in this fight. 
except for anything that I have that's vicariously lived out through Nathan and his passion. But considering we were roommates for a year at college, uh, I know how passionate you are. I know how much you loved playing as that character. I literally have my Nightwing piggy bank uh, yeah. by my desk. I have all my all one, two, three, four Dick Grayson pops with a fifth on the way. I do not have a problem. Um, yeah, go on, Michael. <laughs> uh, no, well, yeah, I'd say, well, at least the fact that you're self-aware is helpful in your rehabilitation. <laughs> the I know how you liked playing as him in like the Arkham games as well as the what was that that combat game that you played the superhero combat oh uh game? injustice i think it was for injustice yes yeah so and it's the yeah. only reason why i'm the, playing Gotham so I, I know how much <laughs> i i mean i know how much this character means to you and just hearing you describe what had happened i mean that that's got to be a i mean i know it's a narrative choice but that's kind of I, I would say at least for me, if I'm going to put myself in your shoes, that would be kind of like a sucker punch. To, and so I'm really explain. glad. I'm, I'm really happy. It's just I, I the fact that if 2020 has taught me something is like, hey, don't worry. It could always be worse. So mm-hmm. not to throw that shade out there, but they could really mess it up. Uh, yeah, for so. you, Michael, it would be like in the West Wing if there's an assassination attempt on Martin Sheen's character and he just goes, you know what? I'm good with selling Subway from here on out. Um, Aaron Sorkin, yourself, why don't you become president for this show? And then I'll just make sandwiches at your local Subway. You're just going, that's not what I signed up for. Look at that. That's, uh, that's it. That would be a horrible analogy, but I understand the, the tr- emotional trauma and the investment uh, in that. So, uh, well, thank you for... At least making that more relevant. Yes, that would be awful. So, mm-hmm. well, I'm glad. Do, do you know anything about this new story group? Do they have any credibility, any history behind them? It's funny that you bring up Injustice because there's actually a comic, ongoing comic series based on that world. Um, and the writers of Injustice are the ones writing this new Nightwing story. Um, they are huge fans. This artwork is the artwork for the series, which I'm much more okay with. Um, I didn't mind the current artwork is whatever it's a tinge darker it looks more like the classic blue like i'm just i'm down with it uh i do trust this writing team a whole heck of a lot more because nightwing for the past two years while this whole stupid rick grayson thing's been going on it has been a revolving door of writers because everyone's going yeah we want to do something but the higher-ups aren't letting us do this so uh we'll do something a little less stressful like it's been a revolving door of people just going yeah this is not the position we really want to be in or want the character to be in um so it seems like these guys are going to have more creative freedom to just kind of not go back to the drawing board but go back to what works because this guy it's like how sony handles spider-man except a little bit worse just come on guys just be nice for once he's been through the ringer other than Wally West, I don't think there's a DC character that's been crapped on more than Dick Grayson, unfortunately. Well, oh, here's here's to change in 2021. 2021. One good thing is guaranteed. Um, One guaranteed thing. One guaranteed thing that's coming is a new Wonder Woman movie. As we uh, teased earlier, coming off the back of 
the su- supposed success of Wonder Woman 1984. I say supposed just because we haven't fully seen the stats on HBO Max yet to see what the subscriber numbers were, um, this, that, or the other thing. Box office, like, to truly gauge how the box office did with this movie. Um, but this is not surprising um, that we're getting another Wonder Woman with Patty Jenkins out and Gal Gadot reportedly reprising their positions. Um, I said before, I still have faith in Patty Jenkins here. I think maybe she just had a bad day at the office. Maybe, as you said, she just had a bad script to work with. I'm not entirely sure, um, but I'm optimistic. But please, 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 can we just set this one in present day? Like, um, it bothered me a whole lot in both Wonder Woman movies. They're just like, they rely so heavily on the Steve Trevor thing. And it's, again, present in 1984, but I'm still going. The only reason you brought him back in 1984 is because you wrote yourselves in a corner by saying Steve Trevor existed in the World War One era as opposed to, you know, just making the movie in the modern day. That way, they can live happily ever after as a couple together because Steve's supposed to exist in the same modern day that we do, but whatever. Um, Yeah, I don't think this is a bad idea. This... This makes sense. What's interesting to me is Warner Brothers, when they made this announcement, was like, we're fast-tracking this project. And I'm going, you can say that, but uh, Patty Jenkins is busy with something else. You're not moving fast on just about anything. Unless uh, Patty Jenkins has said that she and Jeff Johns um, had an idea for a third movie and a Themyscira spinoff show. So maybe they already have the story done. But again... You're going to be waiting till she's done with Rogue Squadron before you do anything with Wonder Woman. So, uh, how fast can you fast track this? Yeah, that's that's a very legitimate question. I, that was the probably the, the biggest, um, you know, thing that I latched onto in this announcement was the fast tracking. Because, like, what is it, what exactly does that mean considering knowing her schedule? And the fact that nothing is still guaranteed production-wise, you know, it's not like everything that we've been dealing with in 2020 is just magically going to disappear here once the clocks roll over into 2021. So logistical issues and, and like, those will still be there. So fast-tracking, I'm really curious to see what they mean by that as well. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just unsure of, of the timeline. But, you know, in this case... Uh, we've seen it in the video game industry, uh, cough, cough, uh, cyberpunks uh, launch in the fact that some people <laughs> still want to fast track, some people still want to fast track productions on, on stuff. So I'm, I'm hoping that they just take their time, you know, as, as impatient as we can be as as fans and as consumers. Uh, if, if we're honest, we would rather have a better product, and so considering what our other stories are going to be, uh, we're, we're going to touch on here soon, I would rather than pump the brakes, evaluate you know, things and the feedback that they got in this film, and go from there. I don't want them fast-tracking. In fact, that's the exact opposite of what I want uh, coming out of Warner Brothers at the moment. So, that, that's I guess we'll just have to wait and see. Unfortunately, there's, it's all speculation, but as far as the Wonder Woman 3, it makes sense. It possibly it's going to be profitable. It was going to be profitable anyway. So the the studio ordering another film, it makes sense because it's a, it's ultimately it's going to make money. So sure. I, this doesn't surprise me at all that they're fast tracking another one. I think it's mainly because 
Wonder Woman, uh, the first one did extremely well. And you're right. I think no matter what the critical reception is for this one, this one in any other year would have done well. Which, quick aside note, uh, I was listening to the Avengers Endgame soundtrack a few days ago with Heather in the car. And I was just like, can you imagine if Endgame came out just one year later? Like how drastically different the landscape would have been. Like that would not be the number one movie of all time. The it probably would have been delayed and people would have gone insane knowing that they would have to wait forever to see Endgame. Um, but I yeah. think the reason why they fast-tracked Wonder Woman 3 is Wonder Woman right now is their bread and butter. It is their top franchise for DC because they're dragging their feet with Superman. They don't know what they're doing. Batman, they're banking heavily on the Matt Reeves Batman, and I think it's going to be awesome. But there's still some general confusion among casual movie fans of Ben Affleck versus Robert Pattinson, which one is the Batman. Um, then there's talk of Michael Keaton coming back for the flash. Um, the flash movie is nowhere to be seen. Aquaman did well, but there's only one of them. Wonder Woman, there's been two, at least on paper, seemingly successful movies. So right now, Wonder Woman is probably DC's top priority and rightly so. Um, that to me is why the prior going with the third one, it just makes logical sense. It's the, it's their safe bet right now with DC not necessarily having the most safe bets. There's a lot of exciting things on the horizon, I think. Um, and we'll talk about that for our next story. They have a couple good... If we're talking sports here, they got a couple really promising prospects. But right now, Wonder Woman is your perennial all-star. Um, Shazam. The first Shazam was great. I still think that's a, um up-and-coming act because the first one did okay. Um... But it doesn't have a sequel yet, and we're kind of just biding our time till we get that Shazam, Black Adam square off. Aquaman, huge success. There's only been one movie so far, and with the whole Amber Heard situation, it's a little iffy. Um, Wonder Woman is their their steady hand right now until they figure out what they're doing with the Batman, what they figure out what they're doing with Superman, if anything. So this just makes the most sense to me why Wonder Woman 3 got announced. So, um... Is there anything in particular that you would like to see for a Wonder Woman 3, Michael? Well, that's it's a difficult question. It's, it is a valid one, but I, I I really don't know how to answer it because I haven't seen uh, 1984 yet. But if there's something that I'd be interested in the character, uh, I want what I want from Wonder Woman is, is her to uh, truly come into to her own as a character and not have to deal with anything in the past but something going forward. Like, be bigger than than trying to make it or trying to prove yourself or also get over your past. Finally, be yourself. Be comfortable in the world in which you're in. Uh, own your role as a superhero. And for me, as an audience member, the one thing that I would like to see from Wonder Woman is her... You know, have not just it's, it goes beyond self confidence, but it's it's the idea that you're not you're not you're not something else. You are your own person. You you are you are just as worthy as any other superhero. You hero are who you choose to be. There. And as far as a conflict that I'd be interested in is seeing her, and and like a, in a resolve is somebody who, you know, who is adamantly opposed to. Um, superheroes is is maybe out out for blood because they believe that once you know Superman started this domino effect 
all the rest of these superheroes have come out of hiding, and we really they are not doing good things for us. And so I I want her to be presented with a not just a doomsday scenario of oh hey hey look at the, the whole world's threatened, but like a a more personal like moral like uh, so storyline like, and so like Winter Soldier basically. Yes, I, I'd rather see something like that, particularly uh, with with Wonder Woman because it gives an opportunity to go a little bit uh, more in depth with the character, and it's gonna it would ask more of Gal and her acting uh, prowess to to kind of give us a more emotional uh, performance like you do see in Chris Evans. Like the, Chris Evans that you see in Winter Soldier is very different than in the rest of the films, and I absolutely love that about that particular film. Like Cap's character development and just overall psyche is challenged more so in that film, and it's not the biggest the biggest doomsday plot, even though the, the what the, the villains are trying to do certainly has – a wide reach, and it has could have catastrophic damages, but it, it's something a little more personal and close to home, and that is what I'm more interested in, because in, how many times can you do the whole world is being threatened, and a big bad guy who's really big and bad because Sky he's bad beam. and big. Skybeam, yeah, great villain. Yeah, and, and so I'm getting really tired of that, and uh, that's where I hope that they go. Uh, I've seen this idea floated around, and I think it would be at least a fun idea to at least throw around the the board and as a creative idea um in the modern day wonder woman teaming up with superman but big caveat do not and i repeat do not make them romantic interest for each other there's one of the biggest power couples that i hated in all comic book history is when superman and wonder woman hooked up it just it doesn't work superman needs to be with lois lane um i think that could be a lot of fun and maybe Oh, it's not maybe. It 100% is just me going, please, sir, can I have anything Henry Cavill related at all? You can have him just wear the Superman thing and just stand there in front of a screen for two hours and just wave at me like a moron. And I just go, thank you. I'll take it. It's better than nothing. So I, w- I think a Wonder Woman Superman team up could be a lot of fun. Two people of godlike powers. Maybe fighting Brainiac, but again, I, I'm still kind of hoping for Brainiac in a Superman 2 or Man of Steel 2 type of situation. Um, so that that's kind of what I would hope, but that might be a possibility because anything is a possibility with DC right now because it seems like, in the words of the Joker, DC is going to be going through an uh, aggressive expansion. Um... Because I think DC got real nervous looking at that Disney investor call and went, Oh, crap. Um, here, here, everything. Um, actually, it's not as dramatic as people are making it out to be. So what we're talking about is Walter Hamada, who is in charge of Warner Brothers, basically came out and said that they're hoping to have four DC movies in 2022 and four years, four theatrical release movies every year from then on out. Uh, and really explode the market with DC projects, uh, both theatrically and HBO Max. Now, some people will be like, well, I thought all the stuff was going to HBO Max, and they don't care about the theatrical experience. That's an AT&T decision, not a Warner Brothers decision. I don't think Warner Brothers knew that they were being fallen told to go to HBO Max. Um, and some people are going... Four DC movies in 2022? Are you nuts? That's that's way too many. To which I'm just going, 
Um, guys, you do know there's already three on the calendar for 2022 already. Um, and depending on when that animated Super Pets movie's coming out, we already know what our four movies are. So it's not a huge change to the schedule. And they've also said they have two movies that they would like that same year to go straight to HBO Max. And it sounds a lot like it's going to be the Static Shock movie in the um, long gestating Batgirl movie, which I still don't actually believe is ever happening and never has been happening. I think it's just a cover for when they brought Joss Whedon in for the Zack Snyder reshoots. So they're just like, oh, no, no, no. We're bringing in Joss for a, a who's a female character we have. Oh, Batgirl. He's working on a Batgirl movie. Um, and then once he was done with the Snyder Cut reshoots, he, they were just like, sorry, I couldn't figure out Batgirl, even though we never were working on a Batgirl. That's just how I see it. Maybe they are actually working on a Batgirl movie. Um, but Michael, you hear that they're doing a bunch of DC projects. Do you think this is Warner Brothers jumping the gun, um, and doing what they did after, before Batman Superman came out and just announcing a whole bunch of stuff? Or do you think this is a smart play in the world of streaming? Hmm. I am conflicted on this, very much so, because when I first, when I first heard this, my reaction immediately was, I don't care. And when I look at that, uh, and my reaction, if I'm being objective, I, I would say I don't care because I'm not a big fan of the DCU films. I personally haven't liked hardly any of them. And if you had to, what are the ones that you do like? Me. What are the ones that you do like? If you so, had to yeah, I'll, I'll, yeah. So I'll get to that in a second because okay. actually, okay. I I will I basically say like so that's my like reaction, and then I'm gonna go and basically disprove my own reaction or basically <laughs> kind of settle myself <laughs> down a little bit. Okay, so um, this seems highly reactionary to to Disney. It's just that Disney happened to have the press conference first, and the fact that Disney has the press conference first, they have the public's trust, anything that comes after is going to be a loss. Because even if they, even if any company announces something great, it's going to be to the average consumer like, oh, they're just doing that because Marvel's doing that. Which, that might be true to a certain extent. But, you know, um, Hamada doesn't get to a, a place of this type of authority and decision-making if he's just being reactionary to other people. And, and if you don't think that other people are reactionary and let other people go first, I mean, Disney has tested the waters, and just like Apple, they have allowed other people to pave the way, make mistakes, and then they can come in and perfect it. So this, this happens in the industry all the time. So when, when I hear that a lot of these films are, are going to be coming, well, we knew that there was going to be some. I mean, at, at the moment, we already know that the Suicide Squad's coming, The Flash, Aquaman 2, Shazam, uh, and Black Adam. And there's other these other films uh, that are excluded from that list that, that are also coming. Mm -hmm. So we, we do know that, that there are already announced films. It's not like that's um, going to uh, you know, surprise us. But when it is surprising, it does, it does seem like they're just going from from zero to a hundred without any transition mm -hmm. that that gives me a little bit of a pause but you know when I look and I have to critique myself I say what films are good well there have been nine DCEU films with the current release now of Wonder Woman 1984 
And let me give you just let me just run through them real quick just for the, the viewers, and let me compare them to the first nine releases of the MCU films. So going back to 2013 and going all the way to present, we have Man of Steel, Batman v Superman: Dawn of Justice, Suicide Squad, Wonder Woman, Justice League, Aquaman, Shazam, Birds of Prey, and we know Wonder Woman 1984. Now you compare that to the first nine films of the MCU, you have Iron Man. The Incredible Hulk, Iron Man 2, Thor, Captain America the First Avenger, Marvel's The Avengers, Iron Man 3, and Thor the Dark World. And then oh, oh and then finally Captain America the Winter Soldier. Those are the first nine films. Now, I am not going to say that any of the Marvel films were absolutely just flat out bad, because I think the curve for the DCEU Thor is worse. Thor the Dark World. However, Thor the Dark World. Just Thor yeah, the Dark yeah, World. Yeah. Thor the like Dark. Incredible Hulk. But Thor but the, Iron Man 2. Yeah. Iron Man 2, man. It, yeah. There, there are films that split the people. Like the films of the nine okay, um, that I would say people universally love them. I, I would say like, well, Captain America, Winter Soldier, Avengers, Iron, Iron Man. Man. Those, yeah. Yeah. Those are definitive. Yeah. Now, if you go and you look at DCEU, People generally like Man of Steel, mm. Wonder Woman. Aquaman, I wouldn't say Man Shazam. of Steel. I wouldn't say Man of Steel. I okay. love Man of Steel, but I wouldn't. Well, say I would say. I would say Shazam. Well, three and a half. I would say Shazam, Wonder Woman, and maybe Aquaman. Critics didn't, but screw the critics. Aquaman's the best DCEU movie. Fight me. Right. Well, I mean, it made over a billion dollars. Like, yeah. The, it had it had Momoa. legs. Like so, like. Yeah, and, and I'm, I yeah, and I'm really I am referring to the fans, and so when we look back on these, they pound for pound, like does the worst of Marvel compare to the worst of of DC? Uh, I I think the worst that Marvel has to offer is better, but it's not like Marvel absolutely was killing it out of the gate. It's really in phase two that they they found that rhythm, they found that theme that they were looking for, which we know the DCEU has been just all over the place with trying to figure out what the audience wants. And you know, I know the DC fans were like, we want a more kind of grounded, a little more cynical film. It's not as not as much Maybe fanciful. some of them do. It kind of lays off. Well. I, I mean, want I, my I, hope I and like optimism, dang it. it. Like, I mean, I do. Right. But, I mean, even like, I don't want to really see, like, Superman have a, the same theme of, like, Guardians. Right? I mean, yeah. it, it's, they know their place. They figured it out. And in DC, I just don't know if we've been as forgiving because they've come later. I mean, Iron Man would came out in 2008, so they had five years before DC. I mean, they were in this market five years before DC released, um, you know, Man of Steel. I mean, they were on Iron Man three the same so, year that Man of Steel came out. I think the big so difference. They is... were already in the marketplace. They were getting feedback. They were trying to you know, try tell this much grander narrative that they had already in place, and they were able to adjust. DC has been all over the place. And, I think the and so, and, and, reason for that is I think the reason for that is one people always assume that DC is trying to catch up, and to a certain extent, DC is. Um, but Marvel has painstakingly made everything interconnected. DC is making it abundantly clear, and I think it's their big game plan going forward. And I think it might actually be their saving grace going forward that we don't care about interconnected stuff. We care about properties. Like, um, they're going to have a whole bunch of these movies, but notice the top 
the ones that are the best received ones are the ones that don't necessarily tie into other movies or set up other things. Wonder Woman does not set up a future movie at all. Aquaman doesn't set up a future movie at all. Shazam hints to a sequel, but it's very much a self-contained movie. I love Man of Steel. It's my favorite Zack Snyder movie, except for maybe Watchmen. But that is not, despite what Zack Snyder may tell you, Man of Steel was not meant to set up anything. It is a standalone movie, and I think people expect DC to follow the Marvel trend of everything has to be connected. Um, everything has to be leading to an Avengers-level threat for DC, and I don't think that's their game plan now. I think they're counting on Flash to introduce the multiverse and be like, this can happen on this world, this can happen on this world, this can happen on this world, and just make as many movies as they want under the DC banner but don't necessarily have to make them connected, which I don't think is a bad thing. Just make good movies and people will show up. People, guys, yes. things don't have to be a connected universe for it to work. You know how I know? Because that's how comic book movies were made before 2008. It's possible. We want stuff to be in a connected universe. Sure, it's cool, but it doesn't have to be. Just make good movies. And I think maybe it's just me being an optimist here, but the more movies you crank out here for theatrical and HBO Max, the the higher the odds that some of them might actually be good. Now, I'm saying this as someone who's been desperately, desperately asking for a Man of Steel 2 and a Nightwing movie, and I fully acknowledge that me taking this stance is just me going, okay, if they're making a whole bunch more movies, then that means that might actually have a time to shine. We might finally get this Nightwing movie. We might finally get this Superman movie. And it's completely selfish to me. But I don't care. Because one of my biggest frustrations right now as a DC fan is Marvel has this huge library of people that they've put in movies. From Howard the Duck was in Endgame for crying out loud. To now we're getting Kate Bishop, Miss Marvel. A whole bunch of, no offense to them, but lower tier characters. Whereas DC... Still, no Teen Titans, no Nightwing, no standalone Flash movie, um, the Green Lantern core in modern day, um, Mar uh, Martian Manhunter, Red Tornado, um, the Hawks. Like, there's so many cool characters in the world of DC, but we keep sticking to the same ones. And so maybe, at least for me, I like the idea of they're announcing a whole bunch of new stuff because maybe for once we can just gravitate towards new creative ideas because DC is all about that when they want to be. Um, that's just me being optimistic because gosh dang it, Man of Steel 2, get here already. Yeah, uh, you bring up a great point. My goodness, what I'd give to, to see a Teen Titans film. I love that. Oh my gosh, I love that. Uh, that animated series that was so good. Okay, um, I've told Heather yeah, this before. Um, I've told Heather this before. I almost cried tears of joy when Cap lifted Mjolnir and they did the Avengers Assemble. If if you did this right, um, there's a famous arc called the Judas Contract. It's where Robin finally becomes Nightwing. Um, if you have Robin in a movie, in a Teen Titans movie, become Nightwing, and they have an Avengers type moment where camera zooms in on Robin. Titans, go! I, mm, I would die happy, happy tears in my eyes. I, I could, 
I can retire a happy man from everything movie related. And I feel like it's not far away. I feel like the best days of DC are not far away. It's just frustrating to wait at times. Because I feel like we are so, so close to a Superman movie. I just feel it. But I get tired of waiting, if that makes sense, for something that I don't even... I don't know if it's coming, but I just feel like there's... I feel like big things are on the horizon, but that could just be me. No, I, I, the best days, I think, at DC are, are certainly, and hopefully, in front of them. I'm just still personally struggling to care because they have not captivated my uh, my attention yet, and they're going to have to earn it. So I'm going to remain skeptical, but also hopeful. Well, one thing that we know for a fact that is coming from DC in 2021, no matter what happens production-wise, is the Zack Snyder version of Justice League. Or Justice League as it was always intended to be. Uh Uh-huh, sure. Keep telling yourself that, Zack. Well, it finally has a release date in 2021 of sometime in March. Um, I have been very vocal that I am not overly excited for this i'm not a fan of the direction that Zack snyder took his thing took his movies uh i forget who it was i think it might have been nando v movies he had the spot on analysis of Zack snyder of he wants to do a movie with batman and superman like characters but not a movie with batman and superman like the reason his watchman movie works is because those characters are like mainstream comic book characters, but they're allowed to be sad and depressing. Zack Snyder wants to have a Superman-like character, but not a Superman character. Not a Superman movie, if that makes sense. Um, I have not been a fan of the direction that he's taken the DCEU, and I feel like once we get past the Snyder thing, we can finally move forward in a more optimistic direction. Now, some things have come to light that make me more on board with the Snyder Cut. Um, Walter Hamada, in his discussion about aggressive expansion, has said that the Snyder Cut, more or less, will be a one-off. Um, they say that it's a cul-de-sac of storytelling. Basically, it it's, will end where it started. Of This will be more or less the end of the Zack Snyder stuff. Um, and he also said that this Snyder Cut will be non-canon to the DCEU. Which I'm I'm much more on board with that. Like if you told me all the Zack Snyder movies are Elseworld stories, I would much be I'd be much more okay with that than anything else. It's a example. It's a prime example of Snyder fans are gonna hate me for this, but it makes me go along the lines of Batman and Robin. The reason why people hate Batman and Robin is there's many reasons, but at the time Batman and Robin came out there weren't a lot of comic book movies. So what you saw was basically what you were going to get for a few years. And in regards to DC, when Zack Snyder was first starting everything, that was it for DC. Now, if we get in the middle of this big DC explosion that might be on the horizon, where we get new Superman movies, new Batman movies, uh, Aquaman, Shazam movies, maybe even a Nightwing movie, I refuse to give up on that. And then Zack Snyder comes back... I think I'd be more okay with that because he would just be another voice throwing out his creative vision out there. When he first started his DCEU, it was his way or the highway. If you wanted to see any of your favorite DC characters, this was the only way to see them in live action. Whereas that's not the case anymore. 
Um, plus, Snyder fans are just bullies, and I'm really just waiting for this to be done with so they can hopefully move on to other projects. I think that's a... It's just a... People always debate about Last Jedi. I think the Snyder Cut's just as bad in terms of fan division. You either love Snyder with everything or you hate him with everything. I'm I'm somewhere in the middle. I think if given the right material, he's great. But that material is not a lot of the DC characters. Um, so I'm still tentatively curious about what is different about his version. Um, I believe the reshoots that we got knowing what Walter Mott is saying is more or less we're just tying this doing this to tie up loose ends with Zach I bet his reshoots were more or less to kind of give closure because he had this whole like five movie arc or whatever I bet you some of the reshoots were kind of like to nip some of the edges a little bit and kind of clean up his version that doesn't like tease feature things but Snyder does especially I'm not a big fan of him as a filmmaker Zack Snyder's one heck of a self-promoter when he wants to be. Um, he can get fans all riled up. So. You see that the Snyder Cut finally has a release date. Um, I don't think you and I have actually talked about it Michael. But what are your thoughts on the Zack Snyder version of Justice League? Yeah. But I'll answer the same way as I did earlier. I, I'm rather conflicted. Because uh, I did not like. Um, you know, Justice League at all. And. It was a tragedy what happened in the production of that in the personal life of Zack Snyder. So I have no animosity towards him. I have a lot of empathy in regards to what happened. And they were able to finish a movie under um, non-ideal circumstances and put it out. And I went and saw it. And I was like, well, that was a movie. Very similar to what you described in Wonder Woman 1984 as. And so I have no desire to see it again. Now, given this news and all the rumors that going up to it, as somebody who did not see the director's cut of uh, Dawn of Justice be, for the same reasons why I don't really care about this, um, they've also given me less reason to care uh, because it's not going to be part of the uh, DCEU's canon. So even if I do like it, I guess I, from a character standpoint, I really don't have any hope uh, there, so I. It's okay. Will neither the characters in the movie. Watch it because that's that's really funny. I will reluctantly watch it, like I will, I guess, from Wonder Woman 1984. I just they just haven't sold me, and I'm I, I guess I'm, I'm so reluctant because it's like, why would I spend my time doing that when I can be doing other things with my time and consuming other forms of content? Because this seems more like a chore. I have to actually think about it, and as a movie fan myself, I'd rather not have to think about watching a movie. I'd rather be like, yeah, like, yeah, that's awesome. That's coming in. I can't wait for it. And I, I honestly just don't have that reaction here. Yeah, I think it... I think Snyder is... If Snyder was a cinematographer, and a cinematographer alone, he would be one of the best cinematographers in the business today. But it's when you have to construct a story with words and plot and everything else around those images that he gets into issues uh my rule of thumb with Zack Snyder has always been if you need drab and depressing and a pessimistic worldview then Zack Snyder's your guy if you need hope and inspiration it's not him because he wants characters to be cool and tough um but in his idea of what cool and tough is um 
which is different than what I've seen in previous comic iterations. And again, if you love Snyder, that's awesome. I think if he did this a few years from now, if DC's wildly successful, I think that's different because it's just a director adding a different flavor to a buffet, basically, as opposed to you are only having this for dinner. This is the only thing you want. Well, I kind of wanted something else, but no, you will eat this and you will like it as opposed to having multiple, multiple options. I think that makes the palate a little better here. Zack Snyder is good at very specific things, but I would still like the choice to be able to watch something else. And for a while there, he was the only real choice for DC. And they're my favorite comic book characters, and it just, there was this disconnect there. So, um, I I think they're doing this so that Warner Brothers can maintain some sort of a healthy, healthy relationship with him. But he very well might jump ship to Netflix if they don't want to continue to expand his thing. Now, he's talked about, after the Snyder Cut, expanding his world with jim lee in a comic book world that could be interesting i think that would be intriguing to me more so than continuing it on in the world of movies because then it is an elseworld story and then it is continuing his story but in the media of comics that i don't know why that's different to me but that sounds more intriguing to me um but it seems like warner brothers is gonna have some bigger issues to deal with than Zack snyder though um, so, uh, Michael, you remember about a week or two ago when Warner Brothers, not Warner Brothers, AT&T and HBO Max decided to just piss everybody off in the movie theater bubble? Well, you guys got your ticket for the pay-per-view event? Because it's about to get ugly, because theaters, they've respond, decided to respond to HBO Max and AT&T, as it seems like some theaters are threatening to cut their ticket prices for Warner Brothers movies. So you know how you might pay 10 or $12 to see Avengers or Star Wars? How would you like to pay 3 or 5 bucks to see The Batman or The Suicide Squad? And in the words of the great Ken Watanabe and Godzilla, let them fight. This is going to get ugly real fast and i want to see how bad it's gonna get because hbo max <laughs> you done goofed but this is gonna be really really fun for all of us involved unless you destroy the movie theaters in which case you you make me very sad but i would just love it if you're at the movie theaters and someone's just like one ticket for avengers please okay that'll be 12 bucks one ticket for justice league 2 please okay that'll be five dollars i just that would be ridiculous um this just screams pettiness and i love every minute of it this is so stupid like can we just make a movie about the fight between hbo max and theaters because at first it seemed like hbo max might be killing the theater experience after the launch of wonder woman oh yeah they're gonna need the theaters back open and after the whole dune and godzilla vs kong controversies that warner brothers and legendary are going through right now HMAX is just like the awkward child just going, I didn't do anything, but mommy and daddy are yelling at each other. Um, so this is a very interesting fight to see. Um, Michael, do you see this actually happening at any point? And wh- what do you see the fallout of this continuing to be between HMAX and the theaters? Well, I actually really love the move. Because it's the movie theaters that are being thrown under the bus 
th this entire year. So with HBO and AT&T coming out with this, I'm, I've been, th as a movie theater fan, I've been thrilled to see the response against, even in the movie theater in the industry themselves, against this move. And for the movie theaters to do this, I think it's the best play they have on the board. I mean, if this is a game of chess, uh, they're trying, they're going right for the queen, that where it's going to hurt them the most, and that's going to be the money. You say, fine, you want to you wanna play, play it both ways? Well, we make most of our, our money off of our concessions anyway, and if we can offer people to come in and have a nice time out, and we're going to do it at the fraction of the cost, uh, and people will do it, then absolutely we're going to do it because guess what? You guys have cut our knees out from underneath us. You forced our hand. And actually, considering where the market is going, and, and people want to, you can call me a capitalist, but the reason why I like a, the, a free market is it gives it gives power to the consumer. And the, the market will dictate you know, what the market can, can bear. And if you give the power to the consumer, it, it's actually... It's actually, I think, going to be a good thing, but it, it's surprising that it hasn't gotten this far because, yeah, even though certain theaters have matinee showings and, and cheaper prices, the fact that all movie tickets, for the most part, are born equal is ridiculous in a way. I mean, I know to understand that there's so much more stuff that I don't understand, but if we already pay a premium for, like, IMAX or for certain formats, but it's almost inevitable to where, you know what, we have this IP, we have this market share. Do you think... Do you think if the, if every movie theater were to raise their tickets, ticket prices, $1, just $1 for every Marvel film that were to come out, that's not going to dissuade people. That's not going to dissuade people. And if for every dollar they raise for a Marvel film, for that independent film that's not going to sell a lot, they decrease the ticket price by a dollar because it's just some random independent film. It's a horror movie that they made for... Uh, 20 cents, uh, you know, the, the idea that like this average over time would equal out anyway, I, I, I'm just surprised it's taken this long. Do I see this happening in this particular case? No. I think this fight between the HBO Max uh, and AT&T with the rest of the uh, rest of the movie industry, I think this was a let's swing for the fences and see what happens. Let's Let's go big and see if the market is ready to sustain this type of systemic and basically landslide of a shift, because that's what this would be. And clearly, they are not, considering what they announced with, you know, with what Warner Brothers announced with the fact that we're still going to make films for theaters, and then also we're going to do this for HBO Max, and, and as well, just like, just like Disney is. So you're, you're seeing a hybrid. You're seeing, um, like you had mentioned, Nathan, that there are certain... Um, genres of storytelling that maybe belong on the smaller screen. They don't need a, to be a big blockbuster. So I think this is all good news. I don't know where, where it's headed, but as far as ticket prices, I just want to let you know, if I'm going to be guaranteed a good film, I have no problem paying more of a premium ticket price. Um, that's and I'm not talking about format change. I'm not talking about 3D. I'm not talking about IMAX. I'm just talking about I go to my local theater, and it's like, oh, hey, it's a Marvel film. And it's a dollar more than what I'm used to paying beyond inflation. Honestly, because I know I'm going to get a nice return on my investment, I have no problem with that. If at the same time they don't do that with films that no one's going to see, like that don't hardly earn a profit. Like So I don't, I don't know. I, I would be okay with that. On the flip That's side, I see movies that – not to be that guy, but I've seen movies in theaters that not a lot of people go out and see. 
Like I saw last year, sure. um, Shia LaBeouf's Honey Boy. I love that movie. If those movies have a theoretical chance to do better at the box office by slightly reducing their ticket prices by a dollar or two and maybe incentivizing people more people to go see those movies, on the flip side of that, that would be awesome. Like, have the Avengers or Justice Leagues or Star Wars, have those be a little bit more expensive, but then have those in your prime theaters, your best displays your best sound and then and you're not quite as good theaters um that's when you show your other movies for slightly more affordable tickets maybe you can have that exactly encourage more people to show up it's just an idea this thing has just been ongoing it's hysterical to see how petty it's got um it I, is. we haven't done our 2021 movie predictions that'll be coming in a few weeks um I I would not be surprised at all if HBO Max reverses their decision at least to some extent coming off the back of the Dune yeah. and the Godzilla versus Kong backlash that they've gotten from their own partners. So um we'll see. Now yeah. for our last news topic of the day. This one feels a little delayed now cuz the world has just been talking about it but it's still fun nonetheless. So, Michael, a few weeks ago, we talked about the Disney Investor Call, and I was just like, I thought they were working on a Boba Fett series. I thought it was weird that they didn't invest announce that at the Investor Call. Not even a week later, watch this end credits for Mandalorian Season 2, and it's confirmed there, of all places, we are getting a Boba Fett series on Disney+. Plus called the book of boba um is that a new testament book or an old testament book i i'm not as that, that that's funny uh I, i'd imagine it's old testament because it's a whole bunch of sand and it gets everywhere um and maybe boba's rocking some sandals and he's preaching the the word um dead or alive you're coming with me all right that's robocop my bad um they're they're robotic people with not a lot of personality until mando Mando fixed Boba Fett for me. Um, this is not a surprise. This is still awesome. I was not... Okay, I'll be honest. I was not 100% on board with the Boba Fett series until the stinger at the end of Mando Season 2. Which, spoiler alert, the end of Mando Season 2, he goes back to Jabba's Palace, shoots Bib Fortuna, who looks just disgusting, uh, and he just sits on this new throne with Fennec at his side. And I'm like, I don't even, Boba Fett's not even one of my favorite characters, but I need to see this show. Cause that's pretty awesome. Um, Michael, are you excited for the book of Boba Fett? And was this surprising at all to you? Uh, it, it was, uh, I'm, I'm glad to have seen that because I actually turned off the, the credits. I heard about this. Oh. I watched the end of, of the Mandalorian and then I was like, all right, well, that was cool. And then I heard about this later. It said, end credits of Mandalorian. So I had to come back the next day and watch it. And I went, wow, well done. Well done, everyone. That was great. What a long play that they had for the female character whose name I can't remember. Um, Fennec? That was a long play. Yeah, Yes, that was a, that was a good setup for her. In, in the worst episode of Mandalorian Season 1, it's nice to see that, oh, yeah. that it eventually yeah. paid off. So uh, the, the thing is, though, Boba Fett still, um, 
I'm a little iffy on because I cannot unsee his the most laughable death in Star Wars, like the the fact that this this guy is the cult following, but no. dies in the most clownish way possible, or like seemingly died. I know that's, he's not dead. That's not what ruined like it for his, me. It's um, so the scene where his jetpack goes off and he flies almost under the mouth of the Sarlacc pit. There's a quick cut where Luke is on one of the skiffs and he's holding his lightsaber and he kicks the guy in the face. You know what scene we're talking about? Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. Yes, where he, where Luke's kick misses the guy by three feet. Like, that's so distracting <laughs> going, you made no contact with that whatsoever. It's like when you go back and rewatch Karate Kid, um, as we've been doing for Cobra Kai, when Daniel does his little crane kick thing, he misses that by like two feet. It wasn't even close. Um, but yeah, that's always been so distracting me in Return of the Jedi. That's part of the reason why I'm just like, I know Boba Fett should theoretically die here, but that that guy, he, he faked it, like the stormtrooper getting hit in the head okay. by the door. Well, um, I will not be distracted by that. I I guess for me, it's just that Boba Fett himself, like I just never found him intimidating, and at all, and I thought him is is laughable. So. If you just take everything in Mandalorian, I think it's great. It's, it's hard for me to care about the character, but I the way they have set him up, though, is really cool. And I am very much anticipating it. I think the best part for me is that I have no expectations for this at all. Mm. So I think I'm really going to enjoy it. Um, I'll have my pitch, and then I'll hand it over to you. Um, what I would like to see for this Boba Fett series... I, I'm really fine with anything, but what I think would be a cool idea is um, Boba puts a hit out on Han Solo, and it's a whole bunch of bounty hunters coming to finish the Solo job. Now, some people be like, but there's no one paying him. Well, he's now in charge of the entire business. He can kind of put a hit on whoever he wants. He's now in charge of the Hut clan, it seems like. Um it just seems like there's some unfinished business there between Han and Boba. So I think that could be a lot of fun. Um, if if it was up to you, what would you like to see in the Boba series? Holy cow, that's an amazing pitch uh, because you really could bring back Alden. Aaron Reich, you could have a lot of fun with that. Uh, for me, they've explored some of the themes in the Clone Wars and also in Mandalorian. But what I would absolutely love, and I know it's on the wrong planet, but the abandoned plot line from Star Wars 1313, the canceled video game, oh. and like something more with the fact that, please take take Boba Fett, the fact that he is now this crime lord leader, please delve into the black market, the, the trading, the back deals, the back channels, and have him go on a trip. It's where he has to go uh, on the underbelly of Coruscant. I just want to see Coruscant again in, a, in a, some sort of cinematic way. Uh, so that's my hope is that please let's let's deal with the black market. Let's say, like, what did these people do in this world? What does it exactly look like? And, again, we've gotten teases from, from the Clone Wars, from Mandalorian, and from Solo itself. And, uh, like, the a Star Wars story, the actual uh, theatrical film. And I want more of that, and I think you really can explore maybe some gangs, some uh, underground politics, and I would really, I mean, I, that's what I'd be craving for a show like that, because with an actor, an older person like uh, Tamara Morrison, 
you you don't really you can't put them in too many action heavy um film or uh, scenes excuse me but what you can do is he can be kind of like this sage and working with what's her name uh to to kind of expand the territory and maybe you can have this this syndicate between Coruscant and Tatooine that's my pitch so basically what you're saying is you want Star Wars Mass Effect yes there you go that uh, that does not surprise me in the slightest <laughs> <laughs> yeah that that sounds like the most Michael story pitch I've ever heard um well I hope is it good I mean does it sound bad I I, I'm fine with anything on this show. Boba, Boba had one of the most standout episodes in season two of Mando, and that's saying something because I didn't think there was really any bad episodes yeah. this season. Um, but that DC, take note: you have fun, interesting characters, and people want to see that spun off into other things. Then you make the spinoff for that, not the other way around. That's right. That's right. Um, well, 2020 has not been great um but if anything it's given us time to watch a lot of things because we had a lot more time on our hands so today we're going to be talking about the best of 2020 all the things we saw and as we said at the beginning of the show because this year is just weird and awful and terrible and we're glad to be done with it anything from 2020 that we saw for the very first time will count as a 2020 movie because we were limited in our options this year um, I do have a pretty definitive, this was to me the best movie of 2020, but I think I'll save that for last because I know for a fact Michael has seen it too, and we can kind of debate if it counts as a 2020 movie or not. I say it technically does, but we'll burn that bridge when we get there. Um, let's see, I have here my notes, because I'm weird, I keep track of all the movies that I saw this year, um, theatrically but also just any movie period that I hadn't seen before because usually this time of year I'm doing my end of the year movie montage for you guys to check out to celebrate the year that was in movies. I'm not doing that this year to celebrate the five movies that came out in theaters. Um, but there was some good things that came out both theatrically and digitally. Um, I will say not the best year for DC as we talked about earlier. Um, while I wasn't the biggest fan of Wonder Woman 1984, I actually didn't mind uh, Birds of Prey or Harley Quinn and the Fantabulous Emancipation Birds of Prey and the Fantabulous Emancipation of One Harley Quinn, which is probably still the single stupidest name for a movie ever. Um, I won't say it's the best DC movie, but it was a lot better than I thought it would be. Um, and that's because the trailers did not really properly illustrate what the movie was going to be about. They're just like, it's Harley Quinn in a movie. That's what you guys wanted. We're like, yes but you still need to put substance there and there was substance to an extent but it really should have just been called harley quinn and the birds of prey because the birds of prey barely are in this movie they're in it for the last 10 minutes uh they're cool but um it's definitely a harley quinn movie there are no plans for another one which is a shame because there was promise in it was it was a flawed fun time but it was still fun and again it's Ewan McGregor in it as the villain, and anything with Ewan McGregor except for the men who stare at goats, I'm all about, and I'm still kind of mad because they definitively made sure that he cannot come back for another movie, and that kind of sucks, but eh, it was fun. So that's 
that's kind of my kickoff for this. Um, Michael, what were some of your favorite movies that you saw this year? Uh, at all theatrically on demand came out this year, came out years previous. Well, well go for it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna need your help because the, when it comes to theatrically, for the for the movie fans who didn't know this, that they wanna they wanna uh, geek out for a second. I actually went and visited uh, Nathan and Heather back in January, which feels like holy crap, you ago. did. And that yes, was this year. Yeah, no, I came down and that was yeah, this it year. was, and I I went went to Disney for the first time. But here's the here's the thing I've been I've been trying to figure out. We went to uh, the uh, City Walk Universal. What movie did we see? Did we Rise watch of Rise of Skywalker? Yeah, we watched Rise of Skywalker. Okay. So that was the second time I saw that film, but that's the only movie I've seen in theaters this entire year. What? Uh, okay, let me do a quick count. Let me do a quick count yeah, of what I, I've seen in theaters this year. One. Let me let me let me do a quick count here. One, two, three, four. Uh. Five, six. Um, yeah, six movies. Um, now how many of them were actually good? One, two, <laughs> three, four, five. Oh, six for six. Every movie I saw in theaters oh, was okay. good to me, at least. That's um, that's pretty good, man. Like, don't I'm I mean, shooting that's, that's a really good batting average right there. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, I so that's where we, it comes down to the fact it's not because I didn't want to. It's that our movie theaters weren't open here in Michigan, so oh yeah, uh, they just just reopened here. Four out of the so six of mine we, are before March. Bit. Yeah. Okay, that that would make sense. Yeah, I I just didn't have I didn't have the luxury of seeing them, and then the films that came out. Like I could have gone and saw, seen uh, Birds of Prey, but I, I just didn't want to. Um, some of the the films that I did watch, though, because like, other than Rise of Skywalker, everything else that I saw in 2020 was either on demand or um, or rented. So the basically all of these films, I say for a few, uh, are stuff that I've I truly have never seen. So I only went down and and actually put down the films that I've never seen and. If I had to pick just some of the highlights of films that I had, I truly loved, I want to give a shout-out to two documentaries. Uh, the Social Dilemma, which is really well put together. Uh, that is on Netflix, and it talks about the influence of social media. And then The Last Dance, the ESPN documentary on Michael Jordan, legitimately mm. one of the best documentaries I've ever seen in my life. Yep. Uh, unbelievable. Uh, I, I was late to the party on that. So I'll give a shout-out to... to to some documentaries. Uh, I just watched it, but A Few Good Men was remarkable. Uh, the I did not like it before just because of all of the horrible language in it, so I almost didn't finish it. But The Gentleman with Matthew McConaughey uh, was actually, it surprised me. It was a very smart film, but my gosh, it's I don't think i watched it again. Guy Ritchie, yeah. for the most part, yeah. is normally a good director. Very much so. Normally. So that that was a highlight. Um, I I didn't have a whole lot of other like fantastic like live action films, but I'll give a shout out to How to Train Your Dragon Three, which I truly loved, and Ratatouille, and uh, Big Hero Six, which you were the one that recommended you the latter two. You haven't seen that until this so year. So those were my. Oh come on, man! Nope, I had I had not. 
Yeah, Ratatouille really struck me. That that was that was so much full of heart. I can't believe I hadn't seen it uh, before. And then yes, um, I think Big Hero Six. That was a winner. My my parents and I we loved that film. If if I had to, you, you we're saving our best of the year for later. Is that right? Yes. Okay. Yeah, because right. I have a pretty definitive. Right, no this problem. is the best. Not only is my um my best of the year the best of the year in a very shallow pool. I think it's one of the definitely like at least I wouldn't say it's top 10 favorite movies I've ever seen, but probably one of the top 10 best movies I've ever seen from a, like a, just a technical and just wow. Whoa, standpoint. That's, that's pretty good. I know for a fact you've seen this movie too. So you won't be surprised when I say okay. what it is. Oh, um, okay. All right. So uh, do, you, do you have any, lo- before you move on, do you have any like low lights though before? Oh yeah! Like, oh yeah! Any... Like bad oh. movies? Okay. Oh yeah! Yeah, like horrible. Oh, yeah. Let's see. I've seen 82 movies so far this year that I have never seen before. Let's see some bad ones. Uh, oh my! Vic- Victor Frankenstein with Daniel Radcliffe and James McAvoy. <laughs> oh Jesus! That movie's hot garbage. Oh God, that movie's bad. Um, I had, I had forgotten that you had seen that film. What what is worse, that one or I Frankenstein? I haven't seen I Frankenstein to know. That's that's oh, next on the agenda. You have got you you have to watch it. You have to please. Okay, um, okay. let's see. Yeah, Victor Frankenstein was pretty bad. Dracula Untold. I, it's technically cheating here because I had seen it once while I was at work, but I was like on my phone and like only half paying attention, so oh, I remember none of it. So I rewatched it. and I was like. Yeah, this is this is pretty bad. Um, Ready to Rumble, staving, starring David Arquette and a whole bunch of WCW wrestlers. It wasn't as bad as everyone makes it out to be, and there was a couple genuinely good chuckles in it, but it's still really stupid early two thousands comedy. Uh oh, nope. Takes the cake for not only the worst movie I saw this year, but one of the worst movies I've ever seen. Period. It is as bad as advertised, if not worse. Halle Berry's Catwoman. Yeah. That oh. was for five good things. And oh. Heather and I watched it together and we both oh. I think we both were physically in pain. Yeah. I saw that in theaters. Oh my 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 grandmother bless <laughs> and rest her soul. When she was alive, my grandmother took me to watch that film with her with her best friend. So I it was me. Because what year did that come out? Like 2003? 2002? 2002, 2003. 2003, yeah. So, you know, I am nine years old, and I'm with my grandmother and her best friend, and we go and watch Catwoman. And at nine years old, I knew it was a bad movie. Man, it it hurt. It just just physically hurt me. Um, The Antoine Fuqua 2004 King Arthur movie with Ione Gruffafard. Um... Yes. It wasn't awful, but it wasn't good. Beautiful soundtrack, though. Oh, my goodness. That score was amazing. Um, Hugh Jackman's Van Helsing. He sensed a theme here. I love horror, but I'm not the biggest defender of they're always good. Um, The Green Hornet wasn't terrible with Seth Rogen. Kind of forgettable, but it wasn't awful. Oh, but it's bad, though. I mean, it's not a good movie. It's not, it's not bad. It's like the definition of forgettable, though. Okay. 
this is not the worst yeah. movie I've ever seen. Like, Catwoman might very well be the worst movie I've ever seen. But the movie that made me the most mad in 2020 may also go down as one of the movies that made me the most mad ever in a movie. And I saw Batman vs. Superman. 2010's Russell Crowe's Robin Hood. I wanted to punch Ooh, things I, I, after watching that movie. I was so furious of like, you cursed my Robin Hood. Because little known facts about me, I grew up reading a lot of the classics of Robin Hood, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, Treasure Island's one of my favorite stories ever. And just the sheer dis- disrespect to the Robin Hood name. Ridley Scott, I won't forgive you. Yes, the Martian was awesome. But I will never forget what you did to that god-awful Robin Hood movie. It's just Gladiator. Except sometimes he shoots a bow instead of a sword. Ugh, that movie was bad. Um, Mortal Kombat? Not awful. Not awful, but still pretty bad. Uh, The 2010 Wolfman with uh, Benicio Del Toro. I still kind of have a soft spot for that, even though it's not great because the production design is outstanding. Uh, let's see. Secret Window with Johnny Depp was awful about this, um, writer who's secluded in a cabin and then some murders start happening. He wants to figure out who the murderer is. Spoiler alert. He himself is the murderer. I'm not going to give you, I don't think you should care. This movie's bad and it came out like 17 years ago. Um, let's see. Nope, I can't say that one because Michael will get mad. Oh, uh, go ahead, please. This is a discussion. I saw Top Gun for the first time. I think that movie's bad. Well, because nothing. It's not very exciting. No, nothing happens in it. it genuinely has no plot. It's just two guys yeah. that might actually want to ask yeah. each other out on a date, but they're too shy to ask. Yeah, there's. Yeah. Listen, um, I'm going to go see Top Gun Maverick. Oh, yeah, same. That looks, it looks like some of the best cinematography of all time. Uh, but you're, yes. you're 100% right. Like, I don't. Uh, I, and then yeah. lastly um, for my crap pile, I, um, yeah. I don't know if, Michael, you remember this movie. It came out, I think, when we were in junior high. A movie called 21. Um, basically, it was starring Kevin Spacey as a yes. guy that teaches his students how to card count. Oh, my yes. gosh. That movie should have worked. But, oh, my goodness, that has to be the single most boring protagonist I've ever seen in a movie. He's so cardboard, cookie-cutter, boring. I don't remember the actor's name or anything about him. I remember the rest of the cast except right. for him. Yeah, I, I had seen that in 2019. I watched that on, on when it was on, like, Netflix, and I didn't have a bad time with it. it it's just kind of no, weird. It the movie weird... is not that bad. It's just the protagonist. And since you spent so much time yeah. with him, it's, like, literally anybody else. So, I would say we need more Kevin Spacey, but right now, the world does not need more Kevin Spacey. No. Um, no, not but, at all. Um, actually... You brought up movies that we saw in theaters. I said I saw some. So going backwards, mm-hmm. it's like the most recent. Uh, I talked about Freaky on the show. Um, saw that recently. Freaky has to be one of the best movies I saw this year. I loved Freaky. Freaky was great. Um, Bill and Ted Face the Music on here. Also fantastic and fun story about that. I was at a friend's wedding this year. And the day we had rehearsals, it was in the evening. I may or may not have snuck away with Heather to go see this movie in theaters instead. 
not not instead of the rehearsal dinner, but like, um, we went on a special trip just for this wedding. But I put it in our plans. So I was just like, okay, we still have to see Bill and Ted sometime while we're on this trip. I know it's a wedding trip for someone else, but we need to see Bill and Ted because it's important. And yes, it, Bill and Ted is important. My only issue with the Bill and Ted movie that came out this year is when it ends, it just it just ends. Like the movie could have used an extra three or five minutes because whenever they actually save the day, it just boop. It's like someone. It's like the uh, assistant director just came out and goes, "Guys, the studio is using the back lot in five minutes. Wrap it up, okay? Up oh, and cut. Good job, guys. Uh, see you for the maybe the sequel. Like it could have." It just ends so abruptly, mm. but it was so fun, and I love me some Keanu, but him and Alex Winter do not lose a step. I thoroughly enjoy all the Bill and Ted movies. I've always described them as stoner comedies without the stoner. Like, these guys are just moronic surfer dudes, but they're hearts of gold, and it's the same characters, but they've matured. It's still a really fun movie. Um... Oh, you talked about uh, bad movies. I saw My Spy with Dave Bautista. That movie's bad. Um, well, it's, uh, you know, it's actually it's not my list. I watched that, and I, I actually had some legitimate laughs. Like, I knew what it was. Like, the movie's not going to be good, but I still had a fun time with it. If you if you want to watch a good version of that, just go watch The Pacifier. That's way better. Um, the last yeah. movie I saw before the pandemic, uh, Ben Affleck's The Way Back, which I was really hoping was going to be better because it's by warrior director gavin o'connor it was fine uh the invisible man as a horror movie it's great for me i was incredibly disappointed just because the invisible man is my favorite classic universal monster and there's like next to nothing that connects it to the original movie at all as a horror movie it's it's really good it's a really good narrative Uh, i just fully acknowledge that i'm in a minority because of how little it has to do with the original movie already talked about birds of prey and I'll save my best movie for last. Um, Michael, do you have any like pleasant surprises that you saw this year? Um, ple- pleasant surprises. Uh, I really enjoyed uh, 2004's Pride and Prejudice. I, I had never, I've only read part of the book, and I know that the BBC adapted uh, uh, series is much better. But I had never read this story. I didn't know anything about about that Elizabeth and uh, uh, Mr. Darcy. I had no idea what it was about. And I actually was, I actually enjoyed that. Uh, I watched uh, Zodiac. And oh, I, I, I love Zodiac. Way too long. I love Zodiac yeah, so movie much. Is, I, I really did enjoy it. Movies way too long. See, uh, it though, flies I, by it, for me. It really. Zodiac yeah, flies by for me. I, was, I love I it. Watched, I watched Snowden. Um, wow. That was with, uh, it yeah, I whatever his face his name. I, I thought it was actually much better than what I was anticipating it uh, to be. Um, the the other thing again, I, I will I'll mention the Last Dance because usually I'm not a big fan of a big fan of sports documentaries, and that was the biggest surprise uh, all the year. I was addicted. I had to I had to tell myself I'm only going to watch one part a day, and I did not stick to it. Um, I recently just watched the 2006 uh, movie, uh, The Nativity Story, for Christmas, and you know Oscar Isaac plays Joseph in that. Um, surprise! Like nice to see Poe Dameron back in the sand environment. 
And I actually think it was a really well done. The music, you want to talk about a great score? Uh, that score to that film is amazing. And then uh, uh, finally, uh, which I'm not going to say, like uh, finally seeing a few good men was um, was was very well worth it. Uh, I want to hit my lowlights just real quick. Oh, please because, take all the time uh, you want. I, I love talking bad movies. Yeah, well, I, I didn't see a whole lot of films this year, um, so um, my lowlights onward. I just thought it was a miss. I did not really care for onward at all. Agreed. Um, I, I don't know what it was uh, because I had. I think it looked good. I think some of the stuff was funny. It had good at voice acting. It just. I, I don't. I don't know. I, I think that. You know, it's like the fact that these it, two boys are trying to get connect with their dad. I think it's a beautiful story. It just, just didn't that, live up to the Pixar factor. standard. Just didn't live up to the Pixar yeah. standard. Yeah. Um. I watched a movie. I I guess it's it's in that classification of John Malkovich just trying to earn money. Uh, <laughs> Ava. It was a spy thriller with Jessica Chastain and John Malkovich, and it was awful. Like it was horrendous from. Beginning, middle to end, and it had uh, uh, who was the Irish guy who was in the Gentleman, who was also was in the Fantastic Beasts, um, Irish, uh, Colin Farrell had oh. Colin Farrell in it too. So oh, like, I like you Colin have, like Farrell. a lot of good actors. Yeah, and it just was just a terrible film. Uh, oh. So that was a that was a big miss. But the the biggest ones are the ones I, I've watched uh, recently. Uh, Gemini Man oh. was. Horrible. Okay, but and, in Gemini Man's defense, how good did it look? Uh, it looked phenomenal. Yeah, like, Gemini it, it was Man unbelievable. For those uh, who don't just, know, Gemini Man is basically a really, really fancy tech demo for your TV. Like it looks and sounds great, but um, that's about all we can say about Gemini Man. Yeah. It and I watched it in Dolby Vision, Dolby Atmos on a 4K HDR, 60 uh, frames per second, and it was really cool to watch it. Um, it was really nice to see Will Smith cry the entire movie. He just cried. Um, like, that's all that he did. Okay. Uh, my gosh, it was a dumpster fire. Okay, um, but Gemini Man has and... one of my favorite lines in it of when the clone figures out he's a clone. He's like, you made a person out of another person. And I'm like, Will? That's kind of how babies are more born. You know that, right? Like, you kind of have to have yeah. a person to make another person like it. They were just like it's this big shocking moment. I'm going, yes, that's how it's this, 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 how that's how this works, dude. It's just bad. I'm with you. Yeah. And then uh, I'm going to say the film that I saw with you and I might tick off a lot of people, but star Wars, the rise of Skywalker is on there for one of the worst films I saw all year. Um, wow. Just, I have, I have no desire to ever watch that movie again. Uh, and, it's a uh, mess, and but I, don't I can say still that have lightly fun with it. I still like it more than Last yeah, Jedi. I, I have more fun. Yeah, I have more fun with the prequels, um, honestly, because I just it, it it's just a culmination of everything that was wrong with the Disney era Star Wars films up until Catholic that point. Kennedy. And it's just, yeah, it's awful. Uh, but the worst film for me, worst film hands down of the year, uh, was Mile Twenty Two with uh, Mark Wahlberg. Oh. And Ronda Rousey, uh. and the other—I can't think of the other actress. Like what she was in, she was in The Walking Dead. Uh, that movie is probably one of the worst scripts I have ever seen 
put to film. The the character, like I, I think Marv Wahlberg's character was there to, like they 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 try. Like that's the best part is that the movie tries to get you to care. It's not like it just ignores it and is self-aware. They try to get you to have empathy for Mark Wahlberg's main character, and it's it is so laughable and. The script is a joke. It was written by, it seems like it was written by a six-year-old. And then the massive plot twist that the movie has so much arrogance that it thinks it's going to make enough money to actually have a sequel. They tease a sequel, which is hilarious to me. Uh, worst film of the year. I'd rather watch Gemini Man again, if Oof. for whatever it's worth, uh, the visuals. So, yeah, do, do not see Mile 22. Good to know. I actually, this this year, more than anything being stuck inside i discovered quite a bit of good stuff um that has been out for a while but i just whether i was late to the party or discovered it firsthand um one of my favorite things that i discovered this year is a horror trilogy called the hell house trilogy um normally Mm. normally i hate found footage but this is found footage that's good and it makes sense so basically it's this group of friends that is the at least the first one is a group of friends that buy this house in a town that supposedly it's haunted, but they're going to open it up as a haunted house. So the reason why there's why it's found footage, um, but the reason why it's found footage is they're setting up security cameras and everything else for insurance reasons. Um, so it logically makes sense. But good God, there's some good scares there. Like there's a scene where they go to the basement and they find clowns already there. Clown mannequins. That's not scary whatsoever but they turn the camera and then they turn back and the clowns are all facing towards them now but it's all in camera like it's clearly somebody in the suit and i jumped so high the first time the other two aren't nearly as good especially there's a couple times where they have visual effects where they clearly they don't have the budget for visual effects um but they were so surprisingly good and i have revisited them a few times because i've enjoyed them so much i was like wow a completely new, fresh, original horror trilogy that, like The Purge, kind of builds upon its own lore. Like, there's actually interesting narrative there besides the story that, with each passing movie, builds and builds upon its previous movie to the point that of like, oh, you're actually establishing your own rules and lore, and I really appreciate that, and actually had internal continuity. It was really, really good. Um, another quasi-horror movie called Detectives. It's one of the only ones that I'd probably recommend to you, Michael. It's actually pretty good. Um, so basically, a picture a group of friends, kind of like um, Ghost Hunters International. They're totally fake. They're phonies. They pretend to haunt people for TV, um, except they actually get called to a genuinely haunted house, and it hilarity ensues. Um, this is not a spoiler. It happens about a third of the way through the movie. One of their friends is killed by the ghost in the house. And so, they are now a group of friends with a ghost on their team that's still trying to figure out how to get this actual ghost out of this haunted house. It sounds really, really dumb, but it feels a lot like a psych episode. And it, it really, really worked for me. I had a lot of fun with it. Um, really liked a movie called Haunt. That actually kept me up at night. Um, that's very rare to do. The best comic book movie I've seen all year. Some people discount it because it's an animated movie. But Justice League Dark Apocalypse War. Basically, everything that can go wrong does go wrong. Um, Dark side, all the Justice League is like, we've had it. 
we're going to go to Darkseid once and for all and beat him at his own game on his own planet. Except when they're hatching their plan and everything, Darkseid is hacked into Cyborg and knows the attack's coming. So he just wrecks their day. But that's not a spoiler because that actually happens in the first five minutes of the movie. And then the next hour or so is us living in this completely destroyed, awful world because there's no heroes left. And then the last half an hour is regrouping everybody to go, we've lost everything. We've got one last chance to stop Darkseid once and for all. And it's it's actually really, really epic. And I really, really enjoyed it. Um, oh. Michael, have you ever heard of a movie called Ed Wood? Uh, I have not. No, sir. When I say Tim Burton, what do you think of? Uh, 13, or what was it, 9, uh, think of, I think of really, uh, a really uh, specific animation style that I'm not interested in. (laughs) Well, I thought that same thing too, until I saw Ed Wood. I actually, uh, watched a couple, two movies that I'll talk about in here with, um, with Tim Burton. Ed Wood probably might be my new favorite Tim Burton movie. So it's basically about a real-life director named Ed Wood who's known for making some of the worst movies of all time, like B-movies, just terrible. Um, But he keeps making them because he just loves making movies no matter what people tell him. And it's kind of like the disaster artist before the disaster artist ever existed. Um, But I appreciate it as a Universal Monster fan because um, in one of Ed Wood's real-life movies that he made... He cast Bela Lugosi, who was Dracula, who, when uh, Edward cast him, was more or less really, really hard on his luck. Um, so, it's a like an inspiring, uh, keep pursuing your dreams, even if everyone tells you you're really, really bad at it. But it's also a really, really loving homage to the Universal Monsters and Bela Lugosi of um, sometimes your heroes get old and they're not who you think they are like that shows Bela Lugosi with his drug issues being really hard pressed for money being down on his luck um but they get you to care about him again um it, I think it was an Academy Award winning performance by that actor is really really good um but I it almost broke me and I think it did a little bit of spoiler alert because Bela Lugosi is dead in real life and it has been for a while Bela Lugosi dies in the movie and at his funeral um the composer I think it was Danny Elfman played the classic universal monster music as a nice little touching tribute to Bela Lugosi of do 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 which I was like oh that's a nice touch um uh, it was it's really hard to describe how good Ed Wood is it's it's not what you would expect from a Tim Burton movie at all uh, I think you would actually really like oh. it, Michael. Uh, and the other one that I had never actually seen, I've seen a lot of people rave about it, but I was like, I'm going to give it a try, is Johnny Depp and Tim Burton's Sleepy Hollow. I loved every minute of it so much. It just oozes Halloween atmosphere. Like, it feels like a Tim Burton, but if Tim Burton did a classic Universal monster movie, like, there's fog everywhere, no matter what. Um... The old gothic architecture, having Christopher Lee in there for a quick cameo with a nice little Dracula Easter egg in there. Um, even Johnny Depp, who I'm kind of on the fence about as an actor, I really liked him as Ichabod, actually. 
I just really, really enjoyed Sleepy Hollow. It was something fresh. It was something different. Um, I'm just a sucker for Universal Monsters, and this felt very much like a classic Universal Monster movie to the point of when it was done, I was like, I think it's a huge missed opportunity that we never got Tim Burton to do some form of a classic Universal Monster movie because between this and Ed Wood, he's clearly a big fan of them, and they impacted him greatly as a child. Um, the second Psych movie, Lassie's Home, I'm a psych diehard to the very end. Michael, you know that better than anybody because I remember the finale was in Absolutely. college and I demanded that I have the TV in not so pleasant ways. Still sorry Absolutely. about that. Um, uh, again, Bill and Ted face the music. Class Action Park, a documentary on HBO Max about the sketchiest theme park in the world is pretty great. Uh, I already talked about Sleepy Hollow, which just, I think, leaves me to my best movie of the year. I think that's my only one left. You got any other movies you want to talk about before we get into what I think? And But I'm, I'm saving it for last because I feel like, Michael, you'll probably be in the same camp on me with this one. Um, any other movies you want to talk about? Oh, well, I'm... Uh, yeah, I'll just give a, a brief mention to... The, uh, I'll say Chris Hemsworth's uh, uh, film Extraction uh, on Netflix was better than any anything I thought it was going to be. I, I just thought that some of the action was actually really well shot in that. Not saying it was the best film by any means, uh, but uh, I will give I will give that some props. I, I will say I really I really did enjoy. Like uh, I mentioned earlier, Ratatouille. I think that was probably one of the that was probably the highlight animated film I saw all year. And then I will I will mention uh, again a few good men. I haven't I haven't mentioned the film I've I've uh, I enjoyed the most, but a few good men is 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 solidly in the number two spot, and and again I really have yet to see anything that I don't like from Aaron Sorkin as far as his writing, and it, it also it was I'm a little biased here because I was able to see it with my dad, and my dad has quoted this movie his entire life, and to finally sit down with him and watch it just added more to it. So um, yeah, thank you, thank you for asking there, and uh, I can't wait. When stop teasing me, I, I I'm. I think the fact that you, we agree on something, this is going to be huge. <laughs> uh, also, before I get into that, correct me if I'm wrong, did also Aaron Sorkin write Moneyball, too? Y- yes, he did. Okay, that makes yes, sense, because Moneyball is one of my favorite baseball movies of all time. It's so well written. But no, um, it's no secret that Michael and I, like, we agree on movies from time to time, but it's very rare that we'll ever completely agree. I think the reason why I've held off, because I know for a fact Michael will agree with me on this. So this movie technically got a limited release in December of 2019, but it got a wide release in January of 2020. That's why I'm counting it for this. It it had that so that it could be nominated for Academy Awards and whatnot, and boy did this movie ever, and I don't think it got nearly enough. It's not one of my favorite movies I've ever seen, but I still think it's one of the best movies I've ever seen. Sam Mendes' 1917. Oh, Okay. Yes. All right. That uh, I I saw it in 2019, so I totally forgot. Like I didn't put it on my 2020 list. Unbelievable. Uh, that's all I'll say. Unbelievable film. And nothing else. <laughs> just on. It, it is hard to say. Well, I mean, I just I'm, I'm thinking about about it now. Like the it's a it's a technical achievement. The film looks amazing. Like it it doesn't. It's not just that. It, it's not like it's a a one thrill. Thing. It's not like, hey, yeah, that's that one movie that did that one thing. Like, no, it's a fantastic film. And oh, by the way, 
they try to make it look like it's one seamless, continuous story, and they do it so incredibly well. The from the sound design to the production design uh, to the actual screenplay, and then the acting. The acting. Oh my goodness! Uh, what what an amazing amazing film. Probably the best film of 2019, in my opinion, or at least in the top two, top three. Uh, so thank you for mentioning that and uh, putting it in 2020. Uh, that eluded me. We agree wholeheartedly on this. Like that movie, like it left my jaw open. Yeah, it got a mainstream release in January because I remember trying to track it down in December, but it was only showing in a few theaters at the time in December. But oh my goodness, uh, I've seen plenty of horror movies. No horror movie has done to me what 1917 did in the theater. I was white knuckling that at quite a few points. Like, I almost leapt out of my seat just, heck yeah, go get him, when um, he climbs on the ridge and just sprints across the battlefield. Thomas Newman's outstanding score of 1,600 men, cinematography of that scene, just everything about that movie was just brilliant. I loved 1917 so much it is a master class in all aspects of filming um acting um cgi believe it or not there's outstanding cgi in 1917 so good that you don't even realize this cgi cinematography goes without saying it's some of the best cinematography in the in any movie i've ever seen it's just so good it's stuck with me so much it's also just such a simple story, but it's so impactful. Um, but he still feels some stuff. And I remember um, talking to you about this. Of uh, A character dies um, in one of the scenes. But what's crazy to me is it's all in camera. And you literally see the color drain from their face. And I'm just watching it the whole time going, how did they do that? Or crash a plane. Yeah. And I'm like, how did you crash a plane safely? Uh, there's so many times that I'm like, just how? It's 1917 was just wow. That's all I can really say to describe it. And yeah. no movie even came close to it in 2020 for me. Um, so, yeah, it came out mainstream for everybody in 2020. So that's why it's my 2020 movie of the year. Oh, I could, I, man, can I not agree with you more? Uh, looking back, I mean, my, my fa- I saw it with my father because I have to see those type of things with my dad. And uh, what what an amazing, ama- amazing experience. And uh, you captivated exactly what what is great about film sometimes. As a movie fan like you are and I am, but you're, you're more experienced, you're closer to it, especially with the production side, to, to have you go, oh, my goodness, how did they do that? Like that is still like the wonder that's why we go to films, and especially when it's not just in films that are okay, but films that have captivated every single emotion, films that beg for your attention and then keep it the entire length uh, of its duration, and that that show you the the aspects and the power of filmmaking, and that make that inner six year old still come out. Like that is why we go to see films, and that it captivated every single. Uh, every single emotion and it checked every single box. So couldn't agree with you more, man. That's that is an amazing pick. I couldn't agree with you more on on 1917. That is, I think the best pick, and that's that's truly 
uh, in in a summary of like why we go to films, the absolute pinnacle of films that have come out, I think, in the last year. Couldn't agree with you more. Uh, thank you for bringing that up. Uh, I'll just say briefly that my best film of the year by far, uh, well, I, I, I'll say that because the upper echelon was A Few Good Men, and it was this, it was the first theatrical Jack Ryan film. It's one I saw recently here. Again, uh, a film that my dad has quoted his entire life, and that was The Hunt for Red October. Uh, that that just kept my attention from get, beginning to the end. It had some great humor, some really good uh, tension, like, especially for early 90s. Like The effects actually weren't terrible, and it's just an interesting plot. And listen, any, any sort of film where I can see Sean Connery in it, I'm going to take it. And, and and finally being able to watch it with my dad after you know seeing and hearing these references uh, my entire life. Uh, the highlight of 2020 for me, uh, theatrically, The Hunt for Red October. Very glad I had an opportunity to, to say that. And the only reason why it's not 1917 Palace because I actually saw that in 2019. So uh, what what a what a great year in a way for us to you know you said you saw 82 films like that's amazing that, to that's be able a to slow go back. year. That's a slow yeah. year. The year before, right. I, uh, that's this is a slow year. The year before, I did 122. So, oh my, yes. Well, the the fact that you're able to see films you hadn't seen before, uh, and the same thing for me, I think is a good thing. That's a great takeaway. So here, yeah, here's to 2021. And if I'm not mistaken, we we are gonna talk about some some films in 2021 coming up. I I believe, right? Yes, that's the plan. Next week, we will be doing our top 10 most anticipated movies of 2021. But barring any weird thing happening, <laughs> we'll be like, these are our top 10 most anticipated movies of 2021 with the huge caveat that they stick to their release dates. Because I'm going to have some that were on my 2020 movie most anticipated uh, list that still haven't come out yet. Um, so, yeah, we'll be talking about barring any unforeseen circumstances, the movies that we're most excited for in 2021. And then maybe the week after that, we'll talk about our bold predictions. Yes, there might be some crossover from 2020 predictions, um, but you can't hold us at that against us. Uh, it's been a weird year. And I'm also curious to see what Michael has prediction-wise for the year ahead when it comes to movies. Um, what were your favorite movies that you saw this year? Let us know in the comments below. We always like hearing from you guys. And as always, if you like what you hear and you want to hear more, subscribe to us on whatever audio platform you're listening to us on, whether it's iTunes, Spotify, or YouTube. And if you haven't already, subscribe to us on YouTube at Uncharted Media. And as always, stay sharp, movie guys and gals.